This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. It's astonishing to think that three months ago we were debating whether Bitcoin would break above $20,000. Well, it's now above $50,000. In Rand terms, it broke above 200,000 Rand in October last year, and this week was hovering around 860,000. Is it time for a breather? Or is the 1 million Rand Bitcoin now within sight? And if you're new to crypto, is it too late to get involved? These are questions that MoneyWeb readers are asking. Joining us to unpack some of these issues is Farzam Esani, founder and CEO of crypto exchange Valor. And that is spelled V-A-L-R. Welcome, Farzam. How are you? So much. I'm great. Lovely to be here as usual. Yeah, it's good to have you back. We've had you before, but I wanted to get your opinion about this. You know, oh, is it time for a breather? It's been a frenetic few months in the crypto space. As I just mentioned, in rand terms, Bitcoin is up more than 300 percent. You know, since October last year, that's five months, right? Are we due for a pause here? And what is driving this incredible move in Bitcoin? So great questions. So we have seen a great run up. And, and in fact, you referenced 200,000 Rand in October. But if you look back to exactly a year ago, nearly to the day, which is March 12th and March 13th last year, Bitcoin was trading at about 70,000 Rand. So we're talking in this past year from 70,000 Rand to close to 850,000 Rand today. That's about 1,000% right? or 900%. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a huge, huge increase. Yeah. And uh, remember, that was March 12th and 13th of last year was the market route where really all assets uh, took a, a real beating. But the world has changed a lot in the last year. I mean, we don't need to just talk about money and, and the dollar and, and Bitcoin, but about society overall. And so your question about a million rand per Bitcoin, no one knows, but there are many fundamentals that are currently in place that are pointing towards that. Now, many people are talking about there needs to be a little bit of consolidation before we actually test that again. You know, even the past day, we've got Bitcoin has come down a little bit. But um, right now, the all-time high for Bitcoin is 890,000 rand. As I said, we're specifically at 851,000 as I speak right now. But let's look what happened today in the U.S. The government and Congress in the U.S. Uh, just approved a 1.9 trillion U.S. dollar bill. And effectively, some of that is going to be going to pay $1,400 to the majority of Americans, right? 1.9 trillion U.S. dollars. Now, if you add that up with all the other COVID bills that have come into existence since COVID came up, we're talking about 5.2 trillion dollars. These numbers are difficult to kind of yes, fathom. Yes, exactly. I okay. mean, it, it, it's just a, a number with a whole bunch of zeros. So, exactly. It, can we put this in any kind of context? Let me put it in some context. So, the great financial crisis of 2008-2009, that was huge, if we recall that. The bills, the main bill that came then was worth $800 billion. So $800 billion about a, just over a decade ago for that big great financial crisis versus $5.2 trillion for what's going on right now. And by the way, this idea of sending money to people, which is a, it's a noble thought perhaps that you, you know, are trying to help people out, but what you're effectively doing is devaluing the dollar. So when we talk about the rand or the dollar and we measure Bitcoin in terms of those two currencies, many people focus on the value of Bitcoin itself and not enough on how you measure it, which is in the, what's called the quote currency, which is either the dollar or the rand. Now, we were talking earlier about 
the devaluation of the dollar in the rand. These are currencies that by nature, by mandate, the central banks are mandated to devalue them. Right? We call it inflation, and we have inflation targets in South Africa of 3 to 6%. But what does that mean? That means that the authorities or the, the central bank is trying to ensure that a loaf of bread, for example, the price rises 3 to 6% year to year. I'm just simplifying things on average. But what that means is that your 100 rand is actually devaluing compared to other goods and services, right? And it is also devaluing against things that are very scarce like Bitcoin. So you look at what's happening with, with the central bank mandates, then you look at COVID that's happening on top of that, which is really getting question, people to question what's, what our society is, 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 is doing and, and how we're responding to it. You look at governments like the US that are pumping out trillions. I mean, it's so difficult to imagine what a trillion, 12 zeros is actually. And then you remember that Bitcoin is going to be 21 million Bitcoins no matter what. In issue. In issue right, right now, we're not quite there. We're less, just less, a little less, nineteen million. But in total, there will only ever be twenty-one million bitcoins. Right. Okay. I think it's important for people to realize that. And I did a story on this uh, subject in MoneyWeb. Is the deflationary power of Bitcoin? If you're looking at house prices, or if you're looking at what the rand would buy you today, versus what it would buy you back in 1961. And I, I did a little bit of digging into that, and the rand is only 60 years old. It was founded in 1961, and 100 rand back then, today, is worth 9,700 rand. So you take your basket of goods, your loaf of bread, and all that kind of thing that you're talking about. Um, the price of that is actually going down in Bitcoin. It's going up in rand. It's going down in Bitcoin. So there's a deflationary aspect to, to Bitcoin. 100%. All right. Again, the question is, what is driving this? You, you, you mentioned this huge stimulus package that's coming out of the United States, $1.9 trillion. It's such a phenomenal figure, it's hard to imagine. But that, of course, is going to now float around the money system. It's going to spread all throughout the world. It's going to create inflation. What does it mean for us here in South Africa? So it's a good question. And, and right now, in fact, financial markets, or I should say traditional currencies, take their lead generally from the Federal Reserve and from U.S. Treasuries. Um, and U.S. Treasuries being the IOUs that the government, the U.S. government effectively uses to raise more money from the market. So what we're seeing is around the world, uh, this, this idea of fiat currency being government-backed currency. Or, and, and, and the reason I say government-backed, it's not backed by gold or anything else. It's literally just the issuance of pieces of paper or digital kind of ones and zeros on servers that, that, that this committee of seven-odd people decide how much there should be in existence. Right now they have, don't get me wrong, they're trying to, I, I believe that they're, they've got the good in, of society in mind and they're trying to do what they can, but they're in a particular paradigm with a particular toolbox, and those tools aren't working so well. And so the economic theory suggests that we need to keep devaluing these currencies to stimulate economic growth. And on top of that, with, with uh, government spending, we're seeing that governments are in debt around the world and getting more so. And so central banks are saying, well, governments are getting in debt, so maybe we can help by printing more money. But again, making it less and less scarce. So what it means for us in South Africa, I think, is the same thing that it means for pretty much all government currencies around the world because they work based on the same kind of framework, which is that I anticipate that we will continue to see the, the RAND devaluing as we will continue to see 
the dollar devaluing. And that's not a controversial thing to say because that's the plan, right? That's the plan. And that's the plan by the authorities. So I think the question is, is how does one protect oneself against that? Now, you can say, oh, well, you know, the bank gives me interest. But basically, interest generally does not give you enough against what you're actually losing in the value of your of your money. So I want to talk a little bit about the depreciation that you just talked about or, or the um, deflationary power of Bitcoin. I was talking to someone yesterday and he said that a few years ago, not more than 10 years ago, he bought a pair of socks with one Bitcoin. <laughs> wow. Okay. So he bought a pair of socks. The 860,000 rand pair of socks. And now you can buy a house, uh, right, with right. 860,000 rand. Mm. So uh, this is a very powerful concept, right? So I, I think the other trend that we haven't talked about a lot right now is that it has been a retail, meaning individual trend, like me and you being very excited about this phenomenon. But more and more, corporates, companies, hedge funds have been buying more and more. As you know, Tesla bought into, uh, into Bitcoin $1.5 billion worth. And we're seeing more and more institutions do so. So my question is, and many people are asking about what's the next company that's going to be doing this, but actually my question is, what's the next government that's going to, or what's the first government that's going to be coming out publicly saying so? Because I think that's, I wouldn't say inevitable. I'm tempted to say inevitable because I actually don't see any other path. But I think we're going to see, you know, Bitcoin and, and crypto in general just become a more and more powerful concept in the financial space. And that is going to dovetail with a lot of the things that are happening politically, socially, to do with the nation state, to do with government finances and, and how they will be failing. I think one of the big next crises will be governments that are just going to be crashing. And when I say crashing, and we've seen it before, like in Argentina and defaulting on bonds and things like that. But I think the ramifications now are going to be huge. So when you're saying governments adopting Bitcoin, you're talking about the, maybe the central banks or the governments themselves? Central banks as well. You know, when we talk about governments adopting, it can be, it can be done in, in different forms. So number one, it could be done with, you know, a government saying we're going to start paying our, our employees, uh, you know, government employees in, in crypto. By the way, this has already started. Places like Miami, you know, the, the mayor of Miami has talked about exploring the possibility of uh, paying Bitcoin to the Miami employees, for example, right? So this is not just theoretical. It's actually conversations are happening in government right now about it. Uh, it's still early, and it's not, to my knowledge, happening yet, but it's, it's happening. Then the other thing is the central banks could say, listen, we have historically bought dollar reserves or you know, FX reserves, foreign currency reserves, or gold to and, hold on balance shares. sheet. Bank, Bank of Japan holds stocks Absolutely. on its balance sheet. Absolutely, it does, or mortgage-backed securities. There are a number of different assets that the central banks can hold. And, and I think it's, it's, it's probably natural that central banks will going to start to say, well, you know, individuals are getting into this to hold value on their balance sheet. Companies are getting this to hold value on their balance sheet. Hedge funds are. Why don't we? Now, there is a little bit of a, you know, there, there might be a, a, a feeling of, okay, we've succumbed now, you know, if we do that. And we can't see that because this is potentially viewed as a threat to government currency. But I think it will come to a point where we say we may actually have government currencies that in the future are pegged to Bitcoin. Right. So there's a lot of things that could happen in the world right now. And then again, we need to think about where we are right now, which is money right now is not backed by anything. 
used to be backed by gold as recently as 1971. That was severed by President Nixon and his administration in 1971. And so really we've seen a proliferation of the amount of money that's in existence right now, sloshing around the world, which is what's leading to asset prices like uh, the U.S. stock markets and other stock markets around the world that are hitting all-time highs. And one analogy I like to give is, Kieran, you know those old elevators that you can kind of see the, the floors passing as you pass it, either going up or down, mm. and they've got like a little glass window in them. And um, if you were, if you didn't know what an elevator does, and you were in an elevator, and you saw that, wow, these floors are going up and up and up. That's what you're seeing. You're saying, wow, the floors are going up. And you, you might be tempted to think, wow, the building is rising. But actually, you're falling, right? The elevator itself is going down. And nothing's happening to the building. Nothing's happening to the floor. They're staying stable. It's an optical illusion. It's an optical illusion. And in many ways, you can apply that opti optical illusion to Bitcoin. Yeah. People right now have their eyes on Bitcoin and say, wow, it's going up. Actually, it's actually other things that are going down and devaluing. Just on that point, uh, this was something Ross Stevens, who is the CEO of Stone Ridge, in a recent presentation given about why his company has shifted all their reserve assets from dollar to Bitcoin. Yes. And we were speaking about that uh, a little while ago. It's a fascinating discussion. Because he doesn't any longer think of his assets in terms of dollars. He, he thinks in terms of Bitcoin. He'd be buying at $70,000 if that was the price today. He cannot move out of dollars or cash fast enough. He's not worried about what price he's paying for it, it seems. Yeah. This requires a, a, a complete leap of faith, doesn't it? I mean, when you start now measuring your wealth in a different currency. Yeah, it does. And it, yes and no. And the reason I say no is that it requires a leap of faith to believe that the dollar holds value as well, right? It's a piece of paper worth 15 cents, a $100 bill, but it's worth $100, right? And so we have faith that that piece of paper has value because everybody else has faith in it. And so we're already living in a system of faith. And in fact, money is a system of faith, to be honest, right? So the question is, which, which is a better faith, if you want to think about it like that? And so with Ross Stevens, uh, and by the way, I recommend the listeners to go and look up Ross Stevens and the interview with Michael Saylor. Look it up on YouTube. It's about an hour. One of the best analyses of Bitcoin I've ever you know, read or seen. So his questioning about you know, looking at everything Bitcoin, I get a lot of people telling me to say, is it now time to sell? And by the way, again, caveat is we don't know what's going to happen. Bitcoin may go up or may go down. We're just talking about what are some of the factors that I think may contribute to its, its going up. But um, the question is, okay, if you're going to sell, then what are you selling it for? Are you going to sell it for dollars again? So that means that you think that the dollar will perform better than Bitcoin over the next year, two, five, ten? Are you going to sell it for a house? Like, what, what are you doing with that Bitcoin? And so when you start thinking about it like that, you stop thinking about it just in terms of a chart and, wow, it's, going to, it's, it's an all-time high or it's going to go down, and actually thinking about how are you going to preserve your wealth? What assets are there where you can truly preserve your wealth? And on top of that, the beauty of Bitcoin is that it's the inaugural asset that was scarce and digital at the same time. And what that means is that you can transport it with you wherever you go. And so if there are polit this political turmoil or uh, whatever it may be, it's something that is not costly to transport. 
So gold used to serve that purpose, but gold is very difficult to transport, etc. So I think these are the questions that I think I encourage listeners to think about, which is not don't think about Bitcoin in isolation. Value by definition can never be in isolation. Like this, you know, you've got a cup of water on the table right now in front of you, Kieran. Right, that glass that's holding that water, what is its value? And if you ask anybody what its value is, if you ask that question to people in South Africa, they'll probably start thinking, oh, it's worth 20 rand or 25 rand. If you ask anybody in the US, they'll have a dollar figure in mind. If you ask people in Japan, it'll have a yen figure in mind. We're socialized to think of value in the terms of the asset that we're most familiar with in our countries, which is the national currency. But the point is, there is no other way for you to communicate the value of that glass unless you're referring to something else. But that means that the value of that glass, if you're measuring it in terms of dollars or rands, can go up or down depending on whether the value of the glass goes up or the value of the dollar goes down. And so you really need to think about things in relationship, in relation to each other. All right, just changing tack here a little bit. Uh, I've got some questions from readers, MoneyWeb readers who come in here. Okay, so one of the big questions that comes to me almost every week is, Bitcoin has gone up so hard and so fast, it's too late for me to get involved. What do you recommend that I do? What's your answer to that? I think we're still extremely early. What I recommend to people is that it's still very volatile and it's still very dangerous if you need the money you know, on a short-term basis. Most of the world do not have tons and tons of savings. Most of the world is living hand-to-mouth. So I wouldn't suggest you know, putting all you, whatever you have with the hope that it's going to go up. It's very volatile. And if you buy it now, when you need it in a week's time or in a month's time, the price could be much lower. So the concepts we've been talking about are longer-term concepts. So what I say to people is if you have some money that, you, that is investable, that you're looking at investing in the long term, then look at Bitcoin as an asset to start getting into. Now, a big, big misconception is that, wow, Bitcoin is 800 plus thousand rand. I don't have 800,000 rand. So at Valor, you can buy Bitcoin worth 10 rands worth, right? Literally 10 rands. That's all you need. So what I suggest to people is rather than commenting on the sidelines, get in. And even if you don't really know this stuff and understanding and you're a skeptic, put 50 rand and 100 rand and 1,000 rand and 10,000 rand and whatever it is that you're comfortable losing at the beginning and make that, let it make you pay attention to understanding how this stuff works. Send it to somebody, see how that works. How does that feel compared to how you, all the forms you need to fill out at a bank when you want to send some money to London or Tokyo or wherever else it may be. Mm. So it's still very early. And the reason I say it's still very early is that we are still having so many conversations about whether Bitcoin has value or not. A lot of people are saying it's going to zero. Right? You don't really hear too many people right now in talking about, you know, or in the last few years about dollars. I know it has no value. Like, what is it backed by, etc. We know it's backed by nothing, and yet it has value, and we accept it. Now, there are some of us that are saying, listen, that, that trajectory is, is going down. But the point is there's so much debate about Bitcoin. Now, the time that that debate lessens is when I think it's going to be too late. But there's still a hell of a lot of debate. There's still a lot of room to go there. Okay, a question here from Tendai. He writes to MoneyWeb. And he says he's afraid of getting scammed. He did get scammed before in crypto. He doesn't say what, but he's now afraid to make the next step. So we've got to explain to him that, yes, there are scammers in crypto and they have gravitated 
to the crypto space just as they did to Forex uh, in the last couple of years as well. How does one differentiate between the good hats and the bad hats in this space? Great question. There are a lot of scams, and I think there are a few telltale signs of scams. Number one is when you are promised a ridiculous return that's guaranteed, right? I can promise you if there is a return that is guaranteed, and it's so good to be true, whoever's offering that to you doesn't need your money. Because if it's guaranteed, they can just use their own money and just uh, multiply their money. So that's one big telltale sign. The second thing is, uh, you know, even though what I've been talking to you about is that our view on Bitcoin is going to go up, th- there is a chance that, it's, that we're wrong, that I'm wrong, right? And if people don't share that view, if they don't share that, listen, th- there needs to be some humility that we're not all omniscient over here. And they're pushing you and they're... You know, we, we actually deal with a lot of people on Valor that have told us that they've been scammed by others. And one of the traits is that these people are very, very pushy, you know, and they say, no, you have to act now. The time is running out and they'll give you all sorts of excuses. And another thing is that the, sometimes people say they've given an X amount of money and they want it back. And the scammers will say, oh, to unlock it, you have to give us more money so that we can unlock it. Don't believe stories like that. Or we've now introduced a new KYC, know your customer routine, and you've got to upload documents, yeah. and that could take two months, yeah. and, and it's gone by that time. And to be honest with you, we don't talk about intuition enough, actually, in our world. Most of these people that are scammed say, I felt that something was wrong. If you feel like something is wrong, don't proceed. All right. Then also just do your research. Right? Most of these scams, if you go to Google and you put in the name, one of the first few hits is probably going to have something with a scam in it. So do some researching on, on Google and then do some researching a little bit to see who owns this, who are the shareholders, who's the management team, et cetera. So I think you do need to do your own due diligence. Just on that point, I mean, there's also, you know, Hello Peter, which, which can be quite a useful tool for ferreting out scams and that kind of thing. But it's also working against the good hats because it's something that came across my desk quite recently where one – I won't mention it was another exchange, yeah. but it's a reputable exchange. Yeah. You know, was – and there's all this stuff about it, it's a scam, it's a scam, it's a scam. Yeah. And when I dug into it, I found that the person who was, was posting this stuff was himself a scammer who had his account blocked. So, you know, you, you have to be – quite discerning you do have to in what information you're you know there's a lot of fake news and fake scams as well absolutely so i think the probably the strongest thing is word of mouth right but also you got to be careful because a lot of these scams also spread by word of mouth so uh, all of these things have to kind of come together do your do your research does it make sense is it too good to be true you know have i been pushed am i being is there like some other agenda that seems to be on the table and and then again i would say start small and get to know people. And as you build a relationship, it's not foolproof because some of these scams, you know, do have long-term gain plays here. But I think just try to do your research on Google and talking to people and there's a lot of information out there. Okay, talk for a minute about Valor itself because I would imagine with this bull run that we've just had, you've you've seen this reflected in your signups, the volumes yeah. that have been traded. How's business been going? Business has been very good. Um, so we've seen you know customer signups nearly 10x in the last year. Um, and over the last few months, it's also been uh, high. And that's been fantastic uh, for business. We've seen volumes that have been growing as well. Uh, we've also introduced a couple of new products like Valor Arbitrage. Uh, we actually haven't shown it on the website, but by word of mouth, so if anybody's listening here, it's Valor, uh, valor.com slash arbitrage, which is actually a, a great product to monetize some of the inefficiencies 
that exists because of exchange control. Just explain exactly. arbitrage to people who don't know what that is. So it's effectively, um, because we have capital control in South Africa, you're not allowed to take out as much money as you want. And to give you an idea, we raised $1.5 million a couple of years ago for Valor. We brought the money into South Africa, converted it into RAND, and then we decided we want to buy some some RAND. We weren't actually allowed onto the other exchanges at the time because we were seen as competitors. So we actually had to take our money and wanted to send it offshore. But we couldn't take our money offshore because the because the regulator said that you're not allowed to, as a company, send money offshore to buy Bitcoin. So basically, there is a limited amount of Bitcoin on sale in South Africa, and there's quite a bit of demand over here. So what Arbitrage does, it basically looks at the differences in prices locally and internationally, and it takes advantage of those differences in prices to lock in a profit. Now, that profit is not guaranteed, right? Because it may exist, it may not exist. It has existed for the last number of years, but it has been coming down. But it still exists, and there's a couple of percent most days still. And on your arbitrage service, what cryptos are you trading specifically? Mostly it's Bitcoin. Bitcoin. So yeah, there are differences Bitcoin. between overseas exchanges and your exchange. Absolutely. Which I think on Bitcoin is typically about 2 to 3%. That's what it currently time. is. You know, in 2017, it was about 30%. Right, but that's because it was a very still a very. It, it young was occasionally thirty percent, but yeah. it varied between sort of four and thirty percent. Uh, absolutely, it, it was, it was one. Absolutely, yeah. but it was much higher. It was generally much higher than four in twenty seventeen. So there was a there was a very big premium, but it has come down as the markets are maturing. Yeah. Okay. So you've now offering that. Is it a sort of DIY arbitrage, or do you handhold the person through the process? We handhold people. So um, you, you'll see a button there. You have to sign up for it. You'll actually have to sign up with an FX partner of ours as well, because we don't deal in FX right now. And effectively, once you do that, we do hold your hand through the whole process. Once you've opened up an account, you've got some money in the account, then we actually you authorize us to do the trading for you, and and we do that for you. But there's a limit. So this is not an infinite thing. It's it's subject to your allowances that you're allowed in South Africa. Which is 11 million rand a year if you've got tax clearance. If you've got tax clearance. And that's if, and also if you have the money. Right. Right. Oh, you um, don't have to have all of that 11 million at once. Not all of it, but you mm-hmm. can't apply for 10 million if you don't have 10 million, if that makes sense. So you, if you've got 2 million rand, let's say, you can apply for, for 2 million, million out of your re- 10. Reapply and reapply. And then reapply, reapply, yeah. et cetera. So go to the website, check it out. Again, you need to do your own research. Just as I said, just to make sure you understand it before you engage in it. Right. I mean, arbitrage is relatively risk-free. When you're arbitraging Bitcoin, the risk that you are taking is, I suppose you could say there are several risks. You could send it to the wrong address, but I think those are easily handled. The big risk is that there is a time delay between the time that you buy on the overseas exchange and the time it gets sent to South Africa. It can be a couple of hours and the Bitcoin price can move in the wrong direction and it can wipe out your expected profit. And it's happened to many people, uh, you know, but generally speaking, Bitcoin is not moving that radically, so that gap that's will correct. remain there for a few hours. And we also manage, so that's part of the reason for the service, is that, and you know, transparently, the way it works is that we guarantee the underlying capital amount. We cannot guarantee the, the return. So the return might be zero, right? And then what we do is we oh, have So a, you guarantee the capital amount? We, we do. So you're not going to make a loss? We do. Well, the customer won't make a loss. We may make a loss. Right. Right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. so you're guaranteeing for the. So his downside is zero. Upside could be two but, to four percent. Yeah. So that. your risk is you're taking risk on valor itself. Right. Right. So you need to know who we are. Yeah. And that's who you're taking risk on. Right. So right? maybe just talk about that and and what is the what is the depth of your balance sheet? How deep does it go? 
So let me put it this way. I mean, we, we raised 57 million rand as public knowledge uh, in July last year. We actually haven't had to touch that money. We've been doing quite well. And so we don't need capital at the moment. Uh, we've been able to cover our costs and some. Uh, and so we're growing very well. And so, you know, even this, by the way, you know, we're able to offer that guarantee because we are hedging our positions, right? So we're not taking risk ourselves. And so if we cannot do the trade, we will not do the trade. And we'll come back to you and we'll say, listen, we can't do the trade. It hasn't happened yet. But if that arbitrage doesn't exist any longer, then we won't offer it. We, we, we cannot. You, you just get your money back, right? right? Um, but again, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. Uh, because it's limited. Uh, and also, you have to have a minimum of 200,000 rand of your own money in your own South African bank account. Is, is well. that the minimum? 200, That's 000. our minimum. So okay. it's also not for everyone. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, and you've got to also show it's your money. You have to show it's your money. It's because got to come from a bank account in your name. Yeah, that's how the arbitrage works is because, let me be very transparent. If Valor could do this ourselves, then we would just do it ourselves. We, we, we wouldn't need to offer it as a product to customers, right? But we thought it's a good product to customers. We can't do it ourselves. Customers can do it up to their own allowance. And so when we can help them do that, and it makes sense for us, and it help, makes sense for them. But again, it's because of regulatory restrictions that this exists. If exchange control went away, this would not exist any longer. Right. right. So there's a the, structural. The, arbitra the arbitrage market would disappear. It's a structural arbitrage. Yeah. Okay. Just a couple of quick questions here. Is that one of the new products you got? Anything else? We've got a, a few on the horizon. Yes. Um, you want to talk about that quickly? Not yet. It's very exciting and we'll make it a little bit of a splash when we actually launch it. And hopefully it will be within the next month or so. Okay. Uh, and, and also it's, it's not just in crypto as well. Okay. So maybe just I'll, I'll leave that with the audience. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Well, question mark. Yeah. <laughs> um, Talk about the altcoins. We've spoken about Bitcoin, but we haven't spoken about Ethereum, which is the, the second biggest crypto. That is now trading at about 28,000 Rand, which is almost the price of an ounce of gold. That's correct. In fact, yesterday it was, uh, it was above it. I've just been monitoring that. Yeah. And then you've got other coins like Cardano and you've got Polkadot. Now, these, these exist in an entirely different part of the cryptosphere. Th these are basically currencies that are going to run the new financial system called decentralized finance. They have been doing even better than Bitcoin. I mean, Ethereum is up between five and 600% over the last uh, year. Cardano, similar. Explain... What's the what's the interest been like in that? Absolutely. So to your point, Ethereum, just looking at the chart right now, wow, I didn't even know this. In the last year, Ethereum is up 1,289%. In a year, 1,289%. Yeah, it's, it's kind of an insane number. Yeah. Um, and what we're seeing, and I think this, this, rather than talk about more about the price, let's talk about what's going on with DeFi, you know, decentralized finance, right? And as we know, most financial institutions that we know today are trusted institutions. You need to rely on them. If they go bust, then they go bust and you know, you, you'll lose your money unless there's government insurance, etc. But beyond that, even if they don't go bust, if the bank, and this happened to me a couple of years ago, the bank for some reason shut the account and I couldn't get access to it and my wife couldn't get access to it. And we asked why and it was a glitch in their system. And so literally for a day, we were locked out of our money and we couldn't make payments or anything. And it's kind of a scary thought. Right. So what decentralized finance is all about is to say, well, actually, let's actually do finance on a protocol level, like on the internet, 
where you're not actually facing uh, or relying on any particular financial institution, but you're actually communicating and interacting with protocols. And when I say protocol, I'm talking about languages. Computer code. Like computer code, yeah. right. And so the, so the computer is not going to tell you you cannot do this unless it's in the code and, and you should know what that code is. Now, it doesn't mean that codes don't have the issues as well. Like there could be problems and they're having problems. But we're still early on in kind of building this system that allows peer-to-peer -peer finance across the world. Now, part of this system is tokens that allow the lubrication, lubrication, if you want to think about these protocols, and make sure that people aren't getting spammed with lots of transactions because they want to just spam you. Well, it's going to cost you to do a transaction. Now, the problem is right now the transactions are extremely high, and this is one of the problems of crypto. You mean expensive? Uh, yes. Ethereum is very expensive. Very expensive, yeah. right? So, I mean, in some cases, you, you know, you're paying, say, $10 to to actually um, to, to move make money. a payment. Just to move money if yeah. you have to make a payment, yeah. So there are plans in place to solve this, but the problem the problem is we're still early, and there's a lot of mind power and brain power that's that's there to to kind of solve these issues. But the concept is fascinating, yeah. right? Because it really opens you up to having control over your own finances, without any government or institution telling you what you can and cannot do, right? And basically opening up the financial world beyond your own borders as well to enca encapsulating the entire world. So these are very exciting things that are happening. Right. So this is all in decentralized finance. Yeah. Um, and anything that people should be looking at, apart from Bitcoin, what, what would you be looking at? Um, well, I can tell you uh, something that's very interesting that's topical at the moment, um, which is NFTs. Uh, NFTs are what are called non-fungible non tokens. This is a little bit esoteric. But I'll explain it because it seems to be getting a little bit of momentum. And a non-fungible token, what that means is something that's non-fungible is something that's unique. So money is generally fungible, right? Uh, one yeah, rand, every rand one is the rand, same as every other rand, etc. Yeah. But a non-fungible token is like a piece of art or a song that you can actually ascribe ownership rights to. Right? And this is very interesting because actually right now with all your digital assets, if you want to even think about, and when I say digital assets, even the small things like your Apple Music or Amazon or Kindle books and things like that, right now there's actually no way that you can actually bequeath these assets to your children if you pass away. Hmm. Right? And that's because they're digital and there's no way to manage them. And so the people that give you those digital products say you cannot pass them on. Whereas NFTs are saying, well, actually, there is a way to have digital ownership that you can pass them on and show who owns things. There's a lot of nuances here, but this is something that's very interesting. As an example, Jack Dorsey's tweet, his inaugural tweet, uh, you know, I think in 2006 it was. He has now put that up for auction for someone to buy his tweet. It sounds, a very, it sounds like a very strange concept. But there is currently a bid for his tweet that's going for 2.5 million US dollars. Goodness. Right? Wow. The, the auction is coming to an end on, on March 21st. Now, I don't fully understand this and why someone would pay 2.5 million dollars for Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Yeah. But uh, Kings of Leon and others are actually also now creating music that are non-fungible tokens. Right, and so uh, the ramifications of this is that you could say that okay, I'm I'm I love this song, and I want to pay the owner of this uh, x amount of cents or a dollar or and, whatever. And, it and is. you acquire and you the can. the copyright when you acquire this. Not the copyright. I mean, maybe you do. Actually, I don't know. I don't know exactly the copyright law, but the fact that it's digital and like Jack Dorsey's tweet is 
is there for all to see. You can take a screenshot, you can read it. It's up. It's public. It's there for public view. Yeah, you can have a million or, or, or you ten can, million of them, and you can create an exact replica, right? right? It's digital, but the the difference is you know who owns it. So it's it's a very it's still early days, and we'll see what the ramifications of this are. But these are some of the things that are being explored in crypto. I think we're going to leave it there. That was Farzam Asani, who is the founder and chief executive officer of Valor, the crypto exchange. Thanks so much, Farzam, for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.